This morning we are looking at Luke 14, uh, 1 through 14. You'll find the words on the screen behind me, or if you've got it with you, you'll find the screen in front of you. Uh, Luke 14, 1 through 14. But before we read, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we have this book. We're grateful for your word. Grateful for how you speak to us in it and through it. Come Holy Spirit and uh, do what you do. Open our hearts and our minds so that we, so we can hear a word from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke 14, 1 through 14. Hear these words. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. I'll explain it a little bit more in a bit, but if they're going for the Sabbath meal, it means they're coming from Sabbath worship in the synagogue, right? So if that's where they're headed, that's where they've just come from, right? That's assumed, okay? So one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Then on the way there, there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Again, they had nothing to say. When he noticed, now they get to the house where the meal, the Sabbath meal is happening. When, they, when he noticed how the guests picked places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, you're going to have to give your seat to this guy. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor. Invite the crippled, invite the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We will go that far. Mm. Lots of good stuff in there. I don't know what mealtimes are like at your house, um, but mealtimes at our house... They're kind of awesome. 
Like, we, we really love, in my family, there's nothing like sitting down together and eating a meal. doesn't even have to be a great meal. It can just be a normal, everyday meal, whatever. It's really good to eat together in our house. Here's typically how mealtime goes. So once the, once the meal has been made and the table is set, sometimes the boys help with that, sometimes they don't. But once that's all ready, we call the boys to the table. Hey guys, it's time to eat. Come upstairs, come to the table. It's time to eat. And if they're not particularly hungry or they're playing really hard, sometimes it takes us forever to get them to the table. It's like, guys, come on, we told you, it's time to eat. Is this how it goes sometimes at our house? Yeah, but if we're having something like, I don't know, brats or corn dogs, something they really love, it's like, boom, they're there. So once we're all seated at the table, it usually goes like this. We grab hands, and if it's lunchtime, usually we pray, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread, amen, right? Or if it's at dinner time, we just take turns praying. So we figure out who prayed last night, the night before, and then whoever's next is the one in line to pray. And then after that, it's simple. We dig in, okay? but we don't just dig into our food. We dig into each other. You know what I mean? Like we pepper our kids with questions. Like, what was your day like at school? What did you experience? What was the best part of your day? Did anything not so good happen at school? And every once in a while, they share quite a bit, and we get to, we get to talk to them. We learn about them. Right, right now, uh, our table is is kind of funny. Can you guess who sits at the head of the table? It's did somebody say Micah? No, it's Micah, the nine-year-old. He sits at the head of our table because that's where you put nine-year-olds, right? And he's really hilarious right now because it's his time to shine. He talks and talks and talks. In fact, he he talks so much that. We're all done, and he's still like got half his meal left at least. And then he doesn't have to help clear the table. And it's a really good position for him to be in. Anyway, but it's really good for us, mealtimes. Mealtimes are sacred times. Mealtimes are the times that we invest in each other. Mealtimes are the times where, where we, like we wouldn't trade mealtimes away for anything. They're the times where we, we learn how to trust one another more deeply, and we love one another more deeply. So mealtimes, oh, they're just sacred times. So here's where Jesus is at this point in the story. All that will make sense later. Jesus and his disciples are on the road to Samaria, right? So they're surrounded by people who have the potential to be uh, really hostile towards him and his followers. Uh, But on this particular Sabbath afternoon, the hostility doesn't come from people who are not like them. The hostility comes from people who are like him, from people from his own Jewish tribe, right? Sometimes that happens, right? So here's how the story goes. Jesus is invited to a Sabbath meal by a prominent Pharisee, right? All the others who have been invited are Pharisees too. Only Jesus is not. Well, Jesus may have been a Pharisee. We think he might have been, but if he was, he was a different kind of Pharisee. He did things way differently than all the other Pharisees. So you can easily imagine this group of Pharisees walking along a little shortcut through Samaria to get to the home of a prominent Pharisee. And along the way, they've just worshiped together. And along the way, they sort of 
they bump into Jesus and they invite him for the Sabbath meal, right? So here's the deal. Sabbath worship and the Sabbath meal are meant to mirror each other. They're meant to be a lot alike, right? So the Sabbath, it's the day when we open our hearts in worship and our mouths at the meal to sort of take it all in. Because here's the reality of things. We're all needy people, right? We need food and drink and shelter and clothing, and we need God, and we need each other, and not a single one of us can get all of that stuff for ourselves. So on the Sabbath, we're invited to receive. But we can only receive if we come to worship empty. Empty of all our pride and empty of all the ways we think things ought to go. Right? We can only receive at the table if we come to the table empty, hungry. Now the Pharisees, they're not really thinking about the meal. Right? They're too busy being Pharisees. They know about Jesus, and they know that he's not really one of them. His reputation has sort of arrived ahead of him. So when they leave the place of worship, what we're all experiencing here, when they leave the place of worship, they forget about what they just experienced and become preoccupied with what comes next. Now they have to share a meal with Jesus who probably has no idea how to keep the Sabbath correctly. You see, there were rigid rules and regulations concerning the Sabbath and they could not be violated. Well, guess what? Jesus violated them on a regular basis. There were rules against eating with all the wrong people. You know, in the scriptures it says prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, those three get grouped together. We could probably come up with the people who we're not supposed to be with, right, as good Christians. We could probably talk about that. Well, guess what Jesus did? He just ate with all those people. He shared table fellowship with all of those people. So these Pharisees are suspicious. And Luke tells us that they were watching him carefully. They were just waiting for him to make a mess of things. They were just waiting for him to break a rule. They were watching him carefully. There's malice in that sentence. So Jesus generously gives them what they want, right? There's a man sitting beside the road as they're headed towards the house. He's suffering from dropsy. So his joints are so filled with fluid that it's become so hard and awkward and painful for him to move at all. So Jesus asked the Pharisees if it's okay for him to heal the man on the Sabbath. They don't answer even though they know the answer is no, it's not okay because healing someone is work. You don't work on the Sabbath. So they don't say anything. Jesus takes their silence as permission. So he heals the man. Sends him on his way. He gives the man what we might call hospitality. The man was just sitting there, broken, bruised, battered, hurting, empty. And Jesus just sees him and gives to him sees him, and makes him whole. Now the scene shifts to the house where they're about to have the meal. 
Right? The guests have been sort of pushing and shoving for a place of honor at the table. Right? The closer you are to the host, the more important you are. The host is no better. You know, Jesus is watching, and it's pretty obvious that he's invited the people not to sort of honor them, but he's invited them so that later they're going to owe him something. We know how this goes. So when they finally sit down, Jesus does all the talking. And he gives them the words that sort of fit what he's just seen. So he looks at what's happening in this house, sees them jockeying for position. He's like, I'm going to make a parable out of this. And so I'm going to read it to you. He says this, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, we're not talking about here, we're talking about a wedding feast, Jesus says, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, and then you will be humiliated and you'll have to take the least important seat. So instead, when you are invited, take the lowest place. So the host will have to come to you and say, oh, you got to move to a better seat. And in that way, you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For anyone who exalts himself or herself will be humbled. Anyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. What's the point of that story? I think the point is this. It isn't right to use a place of hospitality to promote yourself at the expense of others. It isn't right to use a time of hospitality to manipulate others and relationships. What's the point of hospitality? Hospitality is about humility. When we're guests, we're simply there to receive. Hospitality is about generosity. When we're the host, we're there to give. We mess either of those two things up and we destroy hospitality. We destroy real relationships. In the words of Eugene Peterson, their practice of hospitality was all form, no content, completely missing the point. All form. It looked really good, right? It looked good for the host, and the guests were all trying to look good. But there was no content, no relationship building. The purpose of hospitality was destroyed. You know, that happens a lot. In the practice of church that is all form and no content, you know what that does? It destroys churches. Think of it like this. The practice of marriage that is all form and no content is really hard on a marriage. It can destroy a marriage. Imagine a husband and wife, right? They share everything. They share the same house. They share vehicles. They share the same bed. It looks good, right? All the form is there, but there's no content. They don't invest in each other's lives. They never really talk with one another. They just sort of go through the motion of living together. They don't share any kind of intimacy at all. There's all form, no content. It destroys a marriage. Right? If each partner isn't constantly giving and receiving from the other, it can hardly be called a marriage, right? Or think of it this way. The practice of parenthood 
that is all form and no content has the possibility of destroying a family. Right? Imagine parents working really hard so that they can buy all the latest stuff and give it for their kids. It looks good. Their kids feel like they look good. Lots of form there. But when the parents get home from work, they just sit down on their phones for the whole time and hardly say a word to their children. Or they work long hours just so they don't have to come home and, and do the really hard work of building relationships with kids, all form, no content. It can destroy a family. The practice of church that is all form and no content will destroy a church. Right now, in this moment, in a, it's really hard to be a pastor. Is it all right if I share that with you? It's really hard to do what I do. And I just had a meeting with a group of pastors on Wednesday, and we were all lamenting together about how hard it is to do what we do right now. Because there's a lot of form, and it looks good. Not a whole lot of content right now. In a lot of churches, in a lot of Christian circles, we're hyper-focused on who's right. We have to be right. And then it just becomes a, a jockeying thing where who's the rightest? And whoever's the rightest, whoever's got it right, they're the ones, oh, they're up here. Everybody else, we don't have time for. It's destroying us. We're just mirroring the culture. It's what we see out there. Who's the rightest when what we should be focusing on is not who's right, but just who's loved. That's a better question. Not who's right, but who's loved. That's the content right there. Why do we do this? Why do we gather here? What's the point of all this? What's the point of this building? What's the point of this land that we have? Why do we gather here for worship? Why do we have these chairs? Why do we have these instruments? Why, do, why is there a pulpit here? Is it just to come and sit and have our fill? You know, that way we feel better about ourselves. The form, we feel good. It looks good. Right? Or maybe it's just something that our parents did and, and now that our kids are growing up, now it's something that, that we have to do because it's the thing that we're supposed to do. What if, it's just, what if it's more than that? What if it's a lot more than that? Because think about what is happening when we gather together here in this place. We gather together for worship. Right? We're all just a bunch of messed up people in all sorts of different ways. We all have our own problems. Some of them are small and some of them are big. And yet God has graciously, generously, lovingly invited us here into this place. God feeds us. God nourishes us. God strengthens us. God shows us divine hospitality. You are all welcome here but only if we allow all that stuff to happen. Only if we allow ourselves to be open and humble. But what's the purpose of it all? 
It's so that we'll be changed. It's so that we will be transformed. It's so that we will be different. God shows us hospitality so that when we get up from these chairs and we walk out those doors, we will be generous. We will be gracious. We will be loving, hospitable people because we've been shown the generosity, the grace, the mercy, the hospitality of God. That's what the Pharisees were missing. They just experienced the hospitality and grace and love and acceptance of God in worship. And once they walked out the door, they forgot about what they just experienced. They experienced the hospitality of God. And then when they left, their lives became only and all about themselves. Who can look the best? Who can be the rightest? Who can get the most? Who can get the right spot in the house next to the host to have the best reputation? Friends, when we leave this place today, let's make what happens in here a reality out there. Right? You've been welcomed by God. You've been shown grace and mercy and forgiveness. You've been welcomed by God. Let's make that a reality out there. Your first place to practice is lunch. It's almost, it's getting close to 11. It's almost lunchtime. I'm hoping you get the connection between this and mealtime. Because mealtimes are learning times. Mealtimes are practice times. There are times when we, we learn how to be hospitable to one another. Right? We learn how to enact humbleness. Right? So if prayer and worship are the process by which we become humble people, then the humbleness we learn in prayer and worship together is practiced in reality in hospitality around our own tables. At meals are time when we enjoy each other's presence, times when we build relationships, invest in one another. And during your mealtime, you're not just fed with food. You're fed with each other. You're fed with relationships. So you don't just dig into your food, you dig into one another. Every meal we share with another human being ought to be an extension of what we experience here in this place, in worship. Think about it. Right now, we're all gathered around the same table. We have a table in here, a literal table. We're all gathered around the same table. We're all in chairs, and all the chairs are the, the same level. Nobody's higher than anybody else. We're all just broken, hungry people being fed and nourished by the Creator of the universe. And when you get home and eat lunch, it's the same thing, right? Meals are all put around one table. Everybody has chairs that are all the same level. Nobody's higher or lower than anybody else. We're all hungry. We all need food. 
We all need bread. We all need nourishment. We're all human beings with empty stomachs. And here's why this is important. If what we do in here first gets practice at home around our own tables and in our own homes, then it's more likely we'll practice it in every other place we happen to find ourselves. At work, humble, gracious, loving. At school, humble, gracious, loving. Online, please, I implore you, humble, gracious, loving. And when we get really good at it, then suddenly there's no secular space anymore. All space becomes sacred space, like a sanctuary where we experience and then extend the gracious hospitality of God. What we do in here, it matters as long as when we walk out the doors, it matters out there too. And we're changed and transformed and we become humble, gracious, loving people. Like Jesus. That's what we want. Let's pray.